0: Hi, everyone. This week, we are throwing it back to one of our favorite episodes from last year. We spoke to actor Brooke Shields about learning to compartmentalize and how to survive intense public scrutiny. We'll be back with a new episode of 9 to 5-ish next week. Until then, please enjoy this episode with Brooke.
1: I think I survived because I could compartmentalize.
0: Maybe that's helpful. Maybe
1: the compartmentalizing hindered my talent. I don't know. But I knew that if I was gonna survive, I was going to have to.
0: I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Nine to Five-ish With The Skin. She has been a household name almost since birth from doing her first commercial at 11 months old to a Calvin Klein jeans campaign at 14. She achieved notoriety through blockbuster movies in the 1980s like The Blue Lagoon and Endless Love. Since then, Brooks become a Broadway actress, starred in sitcoms and TV dramas, written two books and raised two daughters. And now she is starring in and producing the upcoming Netflix Christmas movie, A Castle for Christmas. Brooke, we are so excited to have you. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. (laughs) So before we get into the conversation, we like to warm up. We're going to do a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. Let's do it. What is a secret hobby or skill that you have?
1: My secret hobby is needlepoint. Oh, that's a really good one. I am needle pointing a backgammon board. Like I have to be on the set doing something like some kind of craft or something. Okay.
0: What is the last show that you binge watched? Hacks. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I heard I would really like it. Oh, please run, don't walk. Okay. My next question, you've starred in many things that are beloved shows and movies of mine, but... One of my most favorite roles you've done is when you were on Broadway and you played Rizzo in Grease. Oh my goodness,
1: how old were you? You must've been a baby.
0: I was, I was a child, but I remember it vividly. <laughs> no. What is your favorite line or song from Grease? There are worse things I could do. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? About 20 minutes ago. <laughs> what did you negotiate?
1: I negotiated someone's fee for a prospective job.
0: <laughs> How does taking time to slow down fuel you to move forward?
1: I've never slowed down in my life till more recently in the past few years. And the fuel that I get from just doing something healing for myself, and you know, sometimes that can just be hanging out with a friend or watching movies or doing something where there's, where the, the regular noise is stopped. I find that I, reemerge emerge from that even stronger and more powerful. I just sort of, it's almost like that time, the energy starts, you know, starts building up.
0: Okay. We're going to move into the meat of our show. You started working when you were, you couldn't even walk. You were less than a year old <laughs> and then you became famous as a teenager. You've talked a lot publicly about what your family dynamic was and, you know, what a unique childhood you had. But what was your support system? How did you basically stay normal?
1: <laughs> There's a few elements that I think my my mother set in motion. She never moved us out of the East Coast. We we never went and moved to Hollywood and pursued all of that, which is rushing through high school and basically only being educated on set. And I think that even just that element for sure gave me a perspective and a more grounded way of being in the world. And when that's all you know, regular grade schools, regular high schools, I think you really do have an understanding the world you may inhabit at certain times is not real. It's just not your real world. It's kind of crazy. It is something that you can go in and out of to a certain extent. And the other piece is my mom always made sure I had someone my own age around me. So I always had a partner in crime. You know, I never felt like I was the only kid in a sea of adults. And my parents never spoke ill of the other. I mean, they got divorced when I was five months old. My father's family is so the opposite of any way that I grew up with my mother or my working life. And I was talking about this today. I've got this movie coming out and it's coming out the day after Thanksgiving. And everybody in my life outside of my family, (laughs) they're all want to watch it. And I know for a fact that I'm going to get to my family in Florida and it's not even going to be mentioned. And it's funny because my feelings aren't hurt or anything, but that's how I grew up. My youngest sister grew up with not an inkling of what I I did. And it wasn't until she got much older and friends of hers would say things like, that's your sister. And it's so interesting, the sort of power of that kind of compartmentalizing. (laughs) And sometimes it's not good, but it really served me,
0: you know, and I'm going to go down and I'm going to be like, no one's going to watch my movie, (laughs) but it's (laughs) okay. Well, they will now because they're going to listen to this podcast.
1: (laughs) No, no, but it's like, you know, and I never hurt my feelings. It actually just helped me understand that. You know, it's not everything. It's not the only thing. Yeah. And if I sat and said, My sister down and said, Look, this is really important to me, please watch it, they would watch it.
0: You know, it's interesting. On this show, Danielle and I were co founders and we're friends. And we talk about how like unique it is that like 10 years in, we're still really good friends and co founders of a business. We've had people on here that also are co founders and friends or work with family or work with spouses and just kind of the unique dynamic of bringing work home, home to work and into your kind of personal life. You and your mom in particular were infamously just this tight, tight duo for so much of your career where like she was your manager, she was with you for all of your early success. I would love to understand how you've dealt with that, both the good part and maybe the parts that you're like, I wouldn't repeat your advice to those who think about working with family or working with those kind of closer to them.
1: You know, I think it's always fraught, no matter how you look at it. And boundaries are the most important thing. On the one hand, I think family, you can trust more than anybody, friends, family. On the other hand, if money's involved, that's when it gets tricky. I think full communication has to happen. I was very enmeshed with my mom. I knew nothing other than being in this industry that I was in, kind of it happened to both of us and not knowing any other way. In hindsight, I think it would have been healthier to have a bit more of a delineation between my professional life and my mom. However, the way she protected me in an industry that basically devours its young, you know, I never had a Me Too moment when all the other young people were, you know, I was, she was so avariciously protective of me that I was spared a lot. The flip side is I was quite naive, really never thought anybody would do anything to harm me or hurt me or double cross me or anything. So I think that I would have been more confident and more comfortable, I think, in the machinations of how the business works, if I understood the separation of it. But it was a different era. You know, listen, if I could, I would only work with my friends. But on the onset, you constantly have to be reminded and say, listen, if this changes either one of us and it's not working for the friendship or the familial relationship, to me is worth more than the success of X, Y, and Z. And to me, I think, As long as those conversations keep getting revisited, I think friendships can become stronger and they can endure. You know, I love working with my husband and we've never been afraid of it. We've only done it a couple of times, but it was great.
0: How did you know it was time to break up that professional part of your relationship with your mom when you were about 30?
1: (laughs) 30, oh God. All joking aside, I don't think I knew how to go about it at all. I also had to keep my mother alive. And she was an alcoholic and an adult child of an alcoholic is a whole other type of dynamic. You are in a position where you feel it's all your responsibility to keep them alive and to take care of them. And so there's that piece. And a couple of things happened. I met my first husband. And in expressing of all my desires and dreams and really things that I wanted, I found myself saying, I can't be 30 not working, not doing the very thing I wake up for every day. And he said, well, then what's stopping you? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, do you have an agent? And I said, no. And he said, go take the steps to be the professional that you're claiming you want to be and claiming that you feel like you should be doing. And that meant severing from my mom because she didn't know how to share me. Yeah. So he helped me lovingly take care of her and extricate myself from her. I think I knew it for a long time, but I don't think I ever had the strength or the courage to, to do it because I felt like it would kill her.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine. You were so infamously sexualized at a young age in the industry, like pretty baby Calvin Klein, the Blue Lagoon, it was considered really normal. How much you were put out there and how much the media talked about you as like an object of, you know, when are you going to lose your virginity? When did you get your period? I mean, like, it's crazy. Me and (laughs) Britney. I mean, like, yeah, like, how do you think about that? How do you look at what happened to Britney? What is your personal view on what the industry did? You can't really just blame an
1: industry, right? It's societal on the one hand, sex sells, right? It's been sold since the dawn of time. Okay. So you've got that piece. Then you've got youth and innocence and there's this appeal to that. When you see the press really, I mean, when I look at the way they spoke to me and I've had to recently look back at many of my earlier interviews and in seeing the Britney, you know, this, this sort of blatant, who else in your in the world would you say, so are you a virgin? Like, where is the respect? I cringe at that, but I cringe at it from the press's perspective. And I sort of think, shame on you. There's such a disregard. And you look at how Britney responded, or you look at how I responded, and you just think, oh, that that poor little girl, those poor little girls. Like it's so not fair. So you grow up sort of acclimating yourself to, oh, okay. They're going to think they get the real me and they've got all of me because they're able to talk about these topics, but I'm always going to take a part of myself and that will be guarded. Guarded meaning I will protect it.
0: Did you consciously know you were doing that at the time?
1: I really think I did
0: because to me, Like at 13, you were like, okay, this is... We
1: underestimate children's ability to decipher situations and read the room. I have two girls and you think kids aren't listening or you think they're not registering any of it. And then they'll come up with something that is so spot on. And you think, you're so clear. You're like little animals who can smell fear. And they'll say something my one daughter came up to me one day and said, mama, she's not the boss of you. And if she's talking about someone whose job it was to tell me exactly what to do. Your boss. It was like <laughs> my real boss. But what I think that even at 13, when you've been in the business as long as I had already been, you start being able to walk into a room and go friend, foe, friend, doesn't matter. Don't trust something. There's something that you have and it's primal because it's a survival tactic. I think kids have it. I was making movies since I was nine. And you spend enough time watching people react to each other and how they treat each other. And I started to realize that no one was interested in my answers. Because they would ask the same question in different ways. Because they wanted a different answer. And in a lot of these early interviews, you see me say, well, you just asked that question and this is still my answer because X, Y, and Z. And then they say, Yeah, but you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. And then I'd say, I think you want me to say something differently, but that's not the truth. And you watch this little person be able to stand up for themselves. Yeah. And I now that maybe that's just my character, maybe that's something else, but I think I knew early that if I didn't guard something for myself. That would just all be eaten up, and so I had friends that I could gossip with about things. My mother always had my stepsister come with me so that we could laugh. I was a cheerleader in school, and I, I did all the things that felt as if they were my real life, mm-hmm. so that the rest could almost be like a sport.
0: So if you, wa- I don't know if you watch any like the Britney docs or any of the footage, but when you watch it, are you like? PTSD. Oh my gosh, like that is a version of what I went through or are you just like, thank goodness, that wasn't me?
1: I just had this conversation with Drew Barrymore as well and I'm older than both of them and I always felt very protective of Drew because we were sort of at the same time and we were in the frenzy of all of it. I look at the Brittany doc and say, wait, who's on her side? Where's her mom? I don't know Brittany. I don't know any of it. But what I do see is when I watch myself, I also knew that the minute I got off camera, my mom would sort of say, well, that guy was an asshole or Mm -hmm. fuck them if they can't handle the truth. I mean, my mom was like brutal, but we had, (laughs) we would go back into our little bubble of us against the world. And a lot of the time I see young people and they don't have an us,
0: A lot of what you're describing, kind of your ability to quote unquote survive is being able to compartmentalize. And, you know, this is a career podcast where whether you're going through hard stuff and have to be able to focus at work or going through hard stuff at work and have to be able to focus at home, building that muscle memory of compartmentalizing and sometimes the risk of taking it too far. Do you think you're a really good compartmentalizer?
1: I think I survived because I could compartmentalize.
0: Maybe that's helpful.
1: Maybe the compartmentalizing hindered my talent. I don't know. But I know that in order for me, I knew that if I was going to survive, I was going to have to. And I looked at it as columns. I would put myself in a certain column when I was with my dad's family. I would put myself in a certain column when I had to go be in the public. But it's the compartmentalizing for me as a kid was very helpful because it was a defense mechanism you see children in abusive families and if they can compartmentalize and have a fantasy world that maybe saves them from that maybe that will help them down the line i don't know i think you can take it too far and not know where your real life is but i always looked at it like a wheel and i was in the center of it and Each compartment was a spoke and I just had to sort of put on that character so that I could survive in it without it feeling like it was going to devour my reality.
0: For those that struggle with being able to do that in their everyday, being able to show up either at home or at work or social life, whatever it is, if they've got something else on their mind, something else kind of gnawing at them, what is your advice on how to build that muscle? To compartmentalize?
1: I think sometimes you have to pretend. Maybe it's all sort of self help, just sort of a fake it until you make it. I noticed that at times with my children, I would carry whatever went on in my day, I would carry it into story time or bath time or or whatever it was. And I started watching myself miss out. On part of their growing up and their childhood. And I started thinking, oh God, well, I haven't been fully there, but then I'm also not fully over there. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And so I started saying, if I am in that room, I'm going to be fully present. And sometimes it means like shaking your head or doing something that reminds you. And then if you allow yourself to step into that place, maybe it's five minutes. It's going to take a while, but then that five minutes, you'll realize, oh, my blood pressure went down a little bit, or, oh, I just took a deep breath, or, oh my God, I unclenched my hands. And then your body starts going, I want more of that, because right now I'm like this everywhere. Nobody's benefiting from my presence, and I'm less than in every area. So I think it's practice, and it has to be like, moments at a time, minutes at a time. I'm not a great meditator. I'm not either. So I'm like, know, I yeah. Don't, <laughs> I don't slow down. I don't know how to. Yeah. But if I say to myself, I'm just going to take five minutes and I'm just going to turn off all my phones and things and whatever, and I'm just going to sit for five minutes, like, okay, maybe my brain rushes with things. But if I haven't responded to that in the four minutes that I have left, i a just because a minute can be feeling like an hour it's enough to almost get me addicted because then I'll feel my heart stop racing. But it's like five minutes at a time.
0: Yeah, but I like it because it's like fake it till you make it to be able to turn that part off. When you became a mom, you very publicly became one of the very first celebrities to come out and talk about postpartum depression. And also the fact that you sought medical help for that. And at the time, it was like groundbreaking. Nobody talked about this. Now there's a lot more open dialogue and still a long way to go. But I'm curious, like when you look back at that moment where you were getting a lot of criticism around speaking out so openly about it, like how did you interpret it then? And how do you think about it now?
1: The interesting thing about the criticism then was it was the first time in my life I had been so openly criticized and I could get everything that had been said about me negatively in the past.
0: Like not fun to be criticized by Tom Cruise. Think what you want. Like, like
1: you know, does he have ovaries? No. Like, so I'm going to go like, okay, you can talk about it as much as you want, but there's no (laughs) way in hell you can understand exactly what I'm feeling. So, you know, have at it. Go, go for it. So I think that there was this, there was a lack of respect that I had for the criticism. I think up until then, the criticism felt personal and it taught me a lot about criticism because it felt like an attack on my character. It felt like an attack on my talent. It felt all these things that I wasn't so sure of just yet. Right. Then here comes this thing that so disrupts my very nature and my life and threatens to really undermine everything. You can't tell me that I wasn't feeling that. And you can't tell me that it was irresponsible for me to talk about it. Because if one person had come up to me in the beginning of the process before I received psychiatric help, medical help, love and friendship help, and realizing that that actually was a luxury, having access to that stuff. If one person had come up to me and said, Oh my God, the exact thing happened to me. Don't worry. You know what? There's things, there's tools, there's this, you're not a bad mom. I might've not wallowed in the horribleness and the fear of it for as long as I did. Mm -hmm. Do you know? So it's like the criticism, it didn't have any effect on me because it, for some reason, for the most personal thing that I'd ever gone through, it didn't affect me personally.
0: We talk a lot with our community lately around how to figure out how to advocate for better family leave and mental health policies to support women in the workplace. Given your experience, what would you just say if somebody is struggling with postpartum depression and they don't necessarily have the appropriate amount of leave in place at work? What's your advice how to go to work and say, I need more time or need help?
1: I think the truth is that individual is not going to be operating optimally either at home or in the workforce. So maybe a way to approach the workforce is to say, I'm not even doing my job to the best of my ability. And then you're home and you feel like you're not even really there. Seek help from people who are the experts in this area, whether it's legally what you are able to ask for. Maybe, I don't know exactly, there are experts In all the fields, psychological, and I'm saying ask friends to help guide you, look to the experts because the information now is more readily available. And maybe there are loopholes, maybe there's something that you're not really aware of, but the most important thing is to speak up if something is not right with you.
0: You and I started the show before when we were getting ready, talking about our various health journeys around self-advocating mm-hmm. with, with doctors. And you've been very public this year around a leg injury that, that you had. I think that that advice around you are your own advocate and, and speak up is what I hope our listeners take away with today.
1: And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing like, it's your prerogative to be able to self-advocate. It's not selfish. It's actually So much more, it takes strength to do that. And that's the hardest part about it is really stepping forward and saying, something is not right. What are my options? And not being afraid to admit your weakness or your fear or anything. Because if you verbalize it enough, you'd be surprised how people will come forward and either help you or help you with introducing you to somebody else. And then you start building this kind of strength community around you. So that's what I want to say.
0: You have described yourself as kind of a brand that has existed for 56 years. (laughs) Your brand is expanding into Christmas movies, which I'm so excited about. And you have this new movie on Netflix coming up, which is also a big deal, not just because you're in it, but also because it's a romantic comedy starring a woman over 50. And that doesn't usually happen. How do you want your brand to continue to evolve?
1: I think it really has kept evolving and it has been 56 years in the making because at every step of the way, I keep learning more about myself. I want to keep evolving. I think that that's what we don't really understand about women. We think that you hit 40 or 50 or whatever your magic number is. I think in society, it's like the minute you can't have children, you're worthless. You know, it's what you do then what you don't accept. And so for me, I will not accept not continuing to evolve. And that can mean any number of things, you know. I just know that to me this is a new beginning for me. It was so refreshing that Netflix actually told me they want to do sort of female empowerment stories that are for women over 40 because we're not over at this age. Yeah, I started a platform called Beginning is Now which I look at as a 360 degree well-being platform. We are content and commerce. We will definitely be more commerce when we get all of our ducks in a row. But it was important for me to build that community because we can't be done just because we hit a certain age or just because we can't have children or don't want to have children. You know, our validity really goes way past all of that. And that's where I'm evolving is really believing that I'm not over (laughs)
0: You're not you're definitely not over and I'm very excited for you. I want to end with a listener question from Kelly who wrote in and said, "Brooke, how has your approach to personal and professional boundaries shifted during your career?"
1: Oh, that is a good question, Kelly. I don't think that I ever had any boundaries personally or professionally growing up. I didn't have to have them because I had a fierce mom. I Also didn't want to have them because I was afraid if I had boundaries that people wouldn't get to know the real me and all I wanted was to be liked. And it it wasn't until I started really, it started a bit in college and it was through having my own opinions. That was where my first sort of understanding of boundaries came into it, which was, oh, I can have my own opinions about something. I can read a book and see something that maybe I don't agree with someone else's opinion or whatever. So that was sort of how I started having boundaries around what I thought. I used to say, you know, mom, do I like this kind of cookie? And it didn't occur to me to taste the cookie, see if I like the taste of the cookie. Then it morphed into, I think this is important in this book. Instead of saying, what should I write about? And then you tell me what's important. And then that's what I'll sort of regurgitate. Then as I got older, it started to become more about my personal style, my feelings about things. And then all of a sudden I was starting to have children and people were telling me how to raise my children. And I thought, listen, I'll do respect, I'll learn from the best, but they're my kids or this is my body, I'm going to take care of it. It wasn't painstaking. And in my industry too, it threatens people if you have boundaries. It threatens people if you have an opinion. So I got out of college thinking the press was going to think it was brilliant that I had, you know, intelligence all of a sudden or literary capabilities or, you know, and I was really shocked at how they didn't, I didn't like it because they couldn't control me. And I think that's the interesting thing about boundaries is people don't want other people to have boundaries because then they can't get out them and they can't control them. And it's taken a long time. And now I'm clearer in many areas. I'm not clear in all of them and I'm working on it.
0: Our very last question is, Brooke, who else should we have on the show? Oh my gosh. Have you ever had Ellie... Have you had Allie Wentworth? No, we haven't. I would love to have Allie. Honestly, she's so
1: brilliant. So funny. She's a great mom. She's got a new book coming out. She's so smart and just brilliantly funny. And I mean, her podcast is brilliant too. So
0: love to bring her on. If you can introduce, that would be amazing. Brooke, such a pleasure to to have you on. Thank you so much. Big fans over here and really appreciate the candid conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of nine to five ish with the skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less.